You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the An Archaeologist. Now, if you're not familiar with my stance on repatriation, it's basically this. Repatriation is a moral imperative, especially if we're trying to undo the damage done by colonialism. If that's too much for you, please go and listen to one of the other wonderful podcasts here on the Archaeology Podcast Network. Now, if you're interested to know what exactly I have to say about repatriation and why do I bring it up now, well, then stay tuned. Bring in the music. First off, I want to thank everybody for continuing to listen to me rant on about things. Um, the last episode focused on low-energy plasmas. Now, I hope that wasn't too much uh, technical information for anybody, or, you know, you kind of all switched off after the first five minutes, but I hope it brought some interesting information to light for some people. Now, this, again, is going to be a solo show. It's just going to be myself talking about stuff, so uh, sit back and, uh, well, enjoy. First off, I want to talk about repatriation. Repatriation, of course, is the returning of items to an original owner. Now, this usually means um, things like art or material culture returned to where they were first uh, generated or created. Now, what's been really interesting is that this has only been, in the last couple of years, a more prominent feature of museums and the way in which museums move forward. If you look at the history of maybe the last three or four hundred years, the whole expansion of the colonies uh, by European colonies, uh, basically they brought back not only raw materials, but they also brought back items of cultural value, which were then housed in museums. Now, these items could be as small as some little... um, as small as flint points and as large as almost entire collections from burial chambers. I mean, we're all familiar with, for example, Egyptian collections in many of the British museums that we've visited. There's one even in the Ulster Museum in Belfast. I mean, the Ulster Museum has Egyptian, has an Egyptian mummy. But I hear you cry. Yes, we took it. It was a long time ago. Like, we have it now. We look after it. Blah, blah, blah. Now, (laughs) the thing is that more recently, um, groups who were not really listened to in the past uh, when they were trying to claim their, um, their cultural items that were significant to them back had been silenced. So, for example, if you look over in America, you had Native American groups or indigenous people uh, asking, and certain tribes asking for cultural remains back. Now, this is particularly important to note. These are human remains that they're asking for back. Um, and what came out of all of that was the Native American Graves Repatriation Act. And that act basically allowed tribes to petition uh, to get remains back. So there are some caveats to that and there are people who are much smarter than me 
who have much more detail about that. And I'm not going to touch uh, on that or... You know, uh, I'm not going to discuss that. I have kind of touched on it in the past with regards to the Kenwick man, so I'm not going to touch on that here. One of the most famous repatriation cases has just had an update, and that's why I'm talking today. It's none other than the Elgin Marbles. I know. There is a petition, there is a motion in Parliament being put through, being pushed up, basically calling for the return of the Elgin Marbles to Greece. Fantastic. I love it. It's brilliant. Oh my god, I have waited. See, the thing about the Elgin Marbles is that their acquisition is a bit murky. Apparently, it was legal, according to a document that's a translated document from a friend of the person who originally took it, Lord Elgin himself. And uh, that's the proof that they had that were authorized to remove any of the Elgin Marbles. But, as of recently, the Elgin Marbles situation has changed. And now there is a distinct possibility that the government, who originally bought the marbles from Lord Elgin, there's now a possibility of those marbles being returned to Greece. So, uh, what does the British Museum have to say about this? Well, the British Museum have held the line for the last hundred years that basically they are the only people who can look after the, uh, the marbles. The way they display them is a really great way of displaying them, and they can serve them. They argue that since they have these items, and they were obtained through legal means because the government created an act where they could get the, uh, the marbles off Lord Elgin in the first place, that they, that was legally purchased from the government. Well, they got, the, they got them legally even if the, even if the purchase before it was illegal. They got it illegally. So that's what they've said. The museum has also contended that the amount of people that come through their doors from all over the world means that the marbles have been seen by people from all walks of life. You know, making the point that because the British Museum is such an attraction to tourists, um, that if the marbles were anywhere else, they wouldn't possibly have as much uh, attention or people wouldn't have seen them in person. The museum has also said this is the least contentious of the reasons why the British Museum's keeping them. And that's really to do with the transport of the marbles if they were to be returned. The problem is that the marbles... um, the marbles the marbles <laughs> the marbles are very delicate they're very very old they're carved in a certain way and you know they're really heavy trying to move those around is difficult and you know what British Museum I'll give you that last one that's okay I can understand that but the British Museum for a long time also contended that Greece had nowhere to keep the marbles and then Greece built a museum specifically designed for the marbles. So that argument went out. And I think, for me, the biggest issue I had was the reluctance with which the British Museum uh, owned up to what it was doing. By not giving the marbles back uh, to Greece, by not giving the parts of the Parthenon back to Greece, it was basically saying, finders keepers. Finders Keepers is the language of the past century. It's the language of the 19th century. It's the language of the 20th century. 
it is not the language of the 21st century. In our world now, we can have many copies of the same item if they're created digitally. It doesn't matter who has ownership of them. But in the past, who had ownership, that mattered. That's why when people burned books in the past, they were burning the only copies of those books. They were destroying those books. And that's why it mattered when people burned books. Now, if you try and burn a book, I mean, what's the point? Someone's got a billion copies on a hard drive somewhere. So what's the point? But unfortunately, despite many people wanting to get into the 3D scanning and 3D printing game, there is only one version of ancient stuff. And that's why it's important who has it. When it comes to human remains, I think most people are of the opinion that human remains are a little different to monuments and material culture. Although there are arguments in that, um, there there are particular material cultural items that are seen as living in themselves. I think of particular note are some uh, Native American headdresses are considered as living items and stuff like that, and that blurs that distinction. But if we want to stick with repatriation in the UK, um, the marbles are really kept here because the museums always had them, or that's what it contends. And I don't think that's really somewhere anybody can stand on anymore. The museum also contends that if they give this away, everybody will be asking for stuff back and they'll have nothing. And to that, I say, tough luck. If you are benefiting from remove, having rem- items removed from other places, from other communities, and store them yourself, you're making money from that? And somebody says, look, those are our items. They mean something to us. We want them back. Well, it's tough luck that you've built your kind of economy on stolen items. And maybe they weren't stolen in a legal sense. Maybe they weren't stolen in a technical sense, but ultimately they were taken from a community. And somebody says, look, Tristan, what about the items that were sold to the museum from these communities? And I, you know, my response would be, that that is a different issue entirely. I am talking about items that were taken by archaeologists, by anthropologists, by collectors, by people who just thought, hey, that's kind of cool, and it got sold along. Stolen items should be returned. But this idea that the British Museum has nothing without its collections from other places that people want to take back, that's ridiculous. Britain has a huge, rich archaeological history. It has a wonderful history, and it's a deep history as well. This is why I have a problem. This is why, for me, Palmyra was such a political kind of pandering. It wasn't even a pandering. This is why Palmyra was such hypocrisy, because we have such a great history, but we're basing all our kind of cultural desires on things we stole from other places. More and more, items are no longer belonging to one museum. Instead, items move. They move through museums. Collections move. And this change is brought about because nobody wants just to have one set of items for the rest of the existence of the museum. 
And I think this is why we have to be much more breathable when we're talking about museums and what collections they do have. So I'll give you a bit more information about the motion. So apparently Lib Dem, Andrew George, um, is going to be urging the government to make moves towards reuniting the Elgin Marbles with those held in the Acropolis Museum. The Acropolis Museum is based in Greece and has the rest of the Parthenon marbles there. And I'm hoping that this is debated and steps are taken to um, properly begin the process of repatriation. Now, the thing is that, you know, the British Museum hasn't always held these these marbles so tightly. In fact, back in last December, the British Museum loaned one of the Elgin marbles to Russia for a display in a St. Petersburg Museum. So the thing is that the British Museum doesn't loan it to Greece because they're worried the Greece will never give it back. There is some sort of ridiculous kind of irony or hypocrisy or some weird melted like head melting kind of like logic there oh yes if we give it back to greece they won't ever give it back just like we're not ever giving it back to greece in the first place i mean this is not rational this is not well thought out and keeping the elgin marbles is not in the realm of being in any way modern to keep the elgin marbles for the sake of keeping them because you found them first, because you got them illegally. Well, you know what? I don't like you. And I don't like what you stand for. I have nothing against the people who actually provide the information for the British Museum. I have no problem with the conser- uh, the people who do conservation, the people who look after the building, the people who look after the objects. That's not who I have a problem with. I have a problem with the British Museum as an institution. Because until it demonstrates that its hardest line is now broken, that it can actually go ahead and return the Elgin marbles, it will still be a symbol of imperialism and colonialism. For the very fact that it just does not want to entertain the idea that Greece can look after its own cultural heritage. The fact is, the British Museum currently is even acknowledging how how stupid its position is. It is acknowledging by refusing to even lend the marbles to Greece. This is why I have a problem with the British Museum. Because this is the attitude of the 20th century. This is the attitude of the 19th century. We have to grow up. We have to realize materially what colonialism meant. We can't just get into the theoretical ins and outs of, well, it was kind of bad, and that's it. If you want to say colonialism is over in its entirety, look at the British Museum. There you will find colonialism. You will find items taken from parent cultures and placed for economic value inside a museum based in Britain. And no matter, and just, you just, I mean, there are so many ways you can, like, there's so many ways you can mitigate and negotiate things. You can involve communities. You can give items back. And giving back is not giving up. Because this isn't a war. Just because you have an item in your collection doesn't mean it belongs to you. 
Because the same argument you say is, this is everybody's heritage. You take items from all over the world and you say it belongs to everyone. Yes, it belongs to everyone. Why do you have it? This is the problem. We live in the 21st century. And I hope that means that we will get further and further away from the ideals and the objectives of expansionism, of colonialism, of imperialism, of saying that we know best. Because we don't always know best. And that's what we have to come to grips with. Museums are not just stuff where you put things on display. Museums are places of learning. They're places of culture and they're places of information. And the way in which they behave and treat items sets the groundwork for how we as a society treat those items. Now, I may sound like I'm ranting by myself, going off on one rant. But you know what? I think it's important. Because even as archaeologists, we have to learn that there are ethical stances beyond just acquiring new data. Look, I mean, look, okay, I I said I wouldn't touch on it, but the Kennewick Man is a perfect example of how things are not done. The thing is, this idea that the only ethical stance is for new research and new information and new data to be squeezed out of everything... It's not the only ethical position. And that's the problem. We don't have a right and wrong answer. We don't have one morality and everybody sticks to it and that's it. Perhaps the British Museum thinks it's both being ethical and moral. But I challenge that. I challenge that in every way. I do not believe they are being ethical and moral in keeping the Elgin Marbles. And I do hope that they will now return the Elgin Marbles with being forced to by the British government. And I hope following that, many other countries and communities ask for their items back. And slowly but surely, the British Museum becomes the shining example of a 21st century museum. One museum that acknowledges its own past, deals with its own past in a material way as well as in a social way. A museum that is connected throughout the world by its own history. The museum cannot be a clear lens to which we all view history. The museum itself brings a color to history. It brings a life to history. And as long as we acknowledge that and understand that, then it's not a problem. But the moment we try and treat a museum as a apolitical space in which facts are placed on the wall, we lose all the power of the museum. We need to tell it like it is and not hide behind some silly objectivist banner. We need to understand that you can do more by giving something back than by keeping it. Because by keeping the Elgin Marbles, you're keeping the status quo. By repatriating, you are rebelling against that. You are shunning the ideas that are firmly rooted in the past. And you're making way for new ideas. Look at museums. Like, we have overcrowded museums. We have museums and, like, repositories for artifacts that are full. We have no space for what we're digging up. And yet we are hanging on to these vestiges. We're hanging on to the vestiges of the 19th century exploration of all the whole entire world. 
There's no moral reason for us to continue doing this. But I want to know what you think. I know I've said my piece, and it's been a long piece, and I'm really, really glad that you've stuck it out this long. But what do you think? I mean, is there a moral dilemma here? Is the Elgin morals, is it ethical to keep them or to return them? Does ethics and morals even come into it? And if those ethic and moral concerns don't, shouldn't affect the outcome, what should? Remember to catch me up. Send your questions, your comments, and everything else over to my Twitter, at Anarchaeologist. Email me, Tristan, at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. I'm on Instagram as well. Um, Just give me some feedback. Tell me if you think I'm just a raving lunatic, or do I have something that you agree with? Probably not. Oh, and one of my missions is to be banned from the British Museum, based on my political beliefs. So, if you're from the British Museum and you're listening to this, please, you know... Really, really, I would feel so, so, like, full of joy if you managed to ban me for my political beliefs. I'd love that. That would be a vindication of my stance. Of course you won't do it now because I've said that, but I don't care. Alright, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, catch you next time. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.